0: Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Great to be with you. Today is going to be part one of a short little series called Redefining Success Jesus' Way. Redefining Success Jesus' Way. I'm very excited about this uh, two or three part series because defining success as a leader is one of the most challenging, vexing, difficult tasks I know. Uh, It drives people to therapy. Uh, cause them to drive their bodies into the ground in exhaustion, lose their joy uh, in Jesus. In fact, one's whole life becomes driven and consumed when our definition of success is not Jesus' way, but uh, the world. Every decision is impacted by it. But if you get this right, oh, Lord, uh, your whole life is different. The joy, uh, the contentment, the peace, the certainty, the groundedness— But there really are two idols that set themselves up in our culture uh, that warp at least God's definition of success. And these two idols have set themselves up firmly in the church, in our leadership cultures. They're so subtle. They're so insidious that it can seem almost impossible to tear down those idols and live freely in Jesus. And... Uh, This is coming out of talking to a number of young pastors recently where I've been so taken aback that the same idol that so crippled and drove folks to anguish in my early days is the same idol and demonic power that is wrecking young people and young pastors and leaders today. So here it is. There's two idols. Uh, First is Numbers. It's an idol of the world. It's an idol of the church. I remember two pastors when I was younger who made a deep impact on me. I I, I, was, uh, uh, I looked up to both of them in different ways. Uh, and the first one said to me early on, Pete, listen, you need to build the numbers in your church as quickly as possible. Because when you walk in a room and you've got a church of size, it's like the Red Sea parts. People just listen to you. And another who said, Pete, you should really get an apartment, a presence in Manhattan near the corridors of power, the mayor's office so people will you know pay attention to you. Now the world's way of measuring success is, is numbers. Uh, and in the church it looks like how many people attend or our ministries, how many are in small groups, how many people are serving. Now measuring ministry impact with numbers uh, or our organizational impact with numbers is biblical. I mean, the book of Acts uses numbers to describe the impact of the gospel. We read about 3,000 being saved uh, or baptized in Acts chapter 2. 5,000 believers are noted in Acts chapter 4. We read about crowds coming to faith in Acts chapter 5. In fact, we have a whole book of the Bible called Numbers. So in the context of the church or ministry, it's good to measure things like attendance or baptisms or membership or number of small groups and giving. In fact, if you're part of a movement or a denomination you will fill out an annual report which will ask you about numbers, numbers in your church and baptisms, et cetera. If you're involved in church planting, uh, they want, want to know how many churches have you planted uh, or how many multi-sites have you established. I mean, we come out of a tradition in evangelicalism in particular that uh, it comes out of a revivalist theology. I think of Charles Finney and Wesley and Whitfield and uh, even Billy Graham, which is you know how many folks have come forward and made decisions, you know, walked the sawdust trail, Other people, they measure success in in the numbers through things like buildings, uh, and I've actually paid off the building. Or others that the Sunday morning or or weekend services feels full or looks full. The problem is it becomes an idol when it's primarily what we measure, what internally uh, gives us angst, keeps us up at night. It can become demonic. And we find this in David when he numbers the fighting men in 1 Chronicles 21, where it says Satan rose up against Israel and David to take a census of Israel. And later David realizes, you know, I, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now, underneath the numbers is, is that looking for power and, and security and, uh, and popularity. Uh, but again, it, it's so insidious. It, it, you've got to see it as a, a temptation of the evil one himself, powers and principalities, That pull you away from the place of saying, no, success is first and foremost doing what God has asked me to do and doing it his way and his timing. That's the most important question is, what's God saying? Now again, so so the problem is if you start measuring success by numbers uh, alone or primarily, uh, it's going to be so different if you're in a parachurch or if you work in the marketplace or even a location of your church. I was talking to a young pastor recently who's in a very difficult uh, geographic location. Uh, that's very different, and all the, all the constrictions that are in that versus a middle or upper middle class suburban sprawling uh, area where people are moving into it and it's growing. Or if you're serving in a remote village in Jordan or Israel, uh, or if you're working among addicts or homeless people, or if you're involved in a justice ministry like sex trafficking or immigration. Uh, you know, in, in my early years, again, I remember going to conferences and they would talk about pastors' conference, they would talk about, you know, moving your church or planting your church in an area where people were moving into. And I remember, here I am in Queens, New York City, uh, and just chagrined because I'm saying to myself, I feel like a failure. I haven't even done anything yet because there's no parking where I am, and people can spend 30 to 45 minutes looking for a parking space where we are. So you have to understand this idol is so great and so powerful and so insidious that that you have to recognize that you can grow your ministry and organization and team and actually be growing numerically and actually failing because you're not doing what maybe what God's asked you to do, and it's really coming from a different motivation and source, or it's all mixed. Years ago, when I was first wrestling with this issue of redefining success, Jesus' way, I, I imagined myself coming before God at the end of my life and said, listen, God, here it is. Look what I've done for you. And a New Life has X number of people, thousands of people, and, and uh, it's all for you and your glory. And he'd say, Pete, you know what? I love you, but that's not what I gave you to do. In fact, half of this was about you, not me at all. And actually, it was another church that was supposed to grow uh, to that size. Uh, you had a had a different mission for you in your location. But think about with me for a minute about some of God's most successful leaders in Scripture. You know, John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist started out, he was booming. Uh, and Jesus said among Those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, if we were to do a bar chart uh, on the size of John's ministry over time, it would be a peak followed by a steady, steady, intense decline. I mean, he ends up in prison and uh, with few followers. But Jesus says there's no one greater born of women, uh, greater than John up to that point. I mean, look at Jeremiah, 50, 60 years of ministry passionate, obedient, but really was did not have a crowd. Uh, Isaiah, same thing, not considered a success by today's standards. Amos left a spiritually more fruitful environment, which was southern Judah. Uh, and he, in response to God's voice, moved to northern Israel where people did not respond to his message. So he went down in number as well. And of course, we enormous success. I mean, Jesus left a revival in Capernaum in, in Mark chapter 1. I think about that often. I mean, here's Jesus. A revival's broken out. The crowds are streaming to him. And he says, after spending time with the Father in the morning, you know, I must go to other cities also. And he leaves. In fact, he doesn't wring his hands. He doesn't question his strategy when it says in John 6 that many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I mean, he remained content He knew he was in the Father's will. He had a larger perspective perspective of what God was doing. It's hard to see how any of these people would be considered successful uh, in contemporary leadership, Christian leadership. And yet the Bible's clear God approved of their ministries. And again, the implications are we may be growing in number and actually failing. So... Uh, this It's really challenging because if you, if, you, if you embrace, if you tumble this idol and cast it out, and and really do violence to it the way it needs to be done, you may not look as good as other people that apparently are successful. And so it meant for me, and it means for me even today, that what is success as I wake up this morning, it's doing what God's called me to do and becoming the person God's called me to become, regardless of where that might lead. Very freeing, and uh, but all those markers of numbers. Uh, they have to take a back seat to this one. Okay, so hold on to that. All right. So, uh, you know, number one, idol that uh, to redefine assess- success is say, it's not about numbers. And I know that's no small task. I know the anguish in even actually living that out. But number two is uh, the idol of popularity, the idol of what people think, being afraid of what people think, or being concerned about what people think. I mean, the most universal religion in the world, remember, is to be successful by the world standards, to have people look up to you. Whether it's a street gang or in prison or a Fortune 500 company in your field or a tech startup or a sports team or politics or even the church, it's this being popular, being thought of well. Jesus, if you read the Gospels closely, you'll see he's constantly confronting the religious leadership of his day. Because that's meant to be, he's confronting us as leaders as well. And in Matthew twenty-three, he says this: "Everyone they do," referring to the religious leaders of his day. And again, and and God is looking at us in our today, two thousand eighteen. Everything they do is for people to see. Jesus says they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garment long. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. when it says everything they done is for people to see. The word in Greek is they, they, they make theater. Their life for God has one final purpose, other people's esteem. That's their real God. And that idol is so deep. Uh, you know, doing God's work for other people to see you. It's an ostentatious religion. It does not impress Jesus. It's using the things of God for our own honor. Uh, it, it's showtime. It's our own personal advancement. Now, what's interesting in ancient times, the days of Jesus, depending on your status and worldly, worldly, you know, uh, position, in, in, the, in the ancient Near East, this affected the length and care with people would greet you. And so, this desire to be great is in us as well. It, the Pharisees fell into it. Uh, it's an epidemic of greatnessism, the desire to be great. I had a person <coughs> in my. Um, uh, small group recently. She's a doctor. And she was talking about how people idolize her and look up to her. And and she said, I, I don't want them to look at me. I want them to look at Jesus. So I'm constantly pointing them to Jesus because they idealize me. And I just said to her, well, imagine getting to a place in God. We were actually in the middle of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, the spirituality course, and talking about grounding our identity in Jesus. And I said, could you imagine?" That you did. Imagine not even noticing that they idealize you, whether they love you or hate you, idealize you or uh, scorn you. It wouldn't even matter. You would, it wouldn't even be in your mind because all you would think about is is being Jesus in that place as a doctor and using your power and your position to be a blessing to people. But actually, getting to a place with Jesus where it didn't even matter what people thought. She looked at me like I was crazy because I can't even imagine being in such a place. That's what makes social media. Uh, so dangerous, actually, in terms of idolatry. I mean, I, I do Twitter, and I, I I love Twitter, and I use it a great means to mentor people and Facebook, a little bit Instagram, but it's it can become real idolatrous where my life is getting followers. My life is people, what they think of me and uh, how they see me and other people's esteem, and uh, and it is a danger uh, because it's an idol that, again, it gets in our hearts and begins to squeeze it. So again, Jesus showed us that success in the world as the world defines it is not how God measures it. And Jesus was very content in appearing to be like a failure. I mean, think about it. He did not do much to change the basic structural problems in Israel during his three-year ministry. I mean, the Pharisees and Sadducees still controlled the temple and religious life. Herod still remained on the throne, corrupt ruler. John the Baptist was still in prison, got his head cut off. It's almost like Jesus ran more of an ambulance ministry, picking up crushed victims of evil structures than actually attacked the political and economic powers head on. I mean, he ended his life rejected. Could you imagine the criticism he must have gotten by the zealots? Uh, I mean, you name it, the right-wingers, the left-wingers. I mean, here he is investing himself in the 12, one of whom doesn't work out, and then we see him being crucified. Uh, But yet he's thanking God regardless, trusting in his in his father, who's unfrustrated, who's in complete control. And he defines success for Jesus, completing the work that the father has given him to do. He's, if you look closely at the life of Jesus, you'll see he's very sensitive to this idol of other people, what other people think uh, and popularity. Even when, when Jesus was, they asked Jesus a question about taxes, you know, do we give, they test Jesus to, to about, you know, do we, this coin, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And and says Jesus discerned, you know, could see what was in their hearts, that they, they were they were trying to get him to please one of the different sides. And uh, same thing when Peter says, No, you'll never go to the cross in, in Matthew 16, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan, because he recognizes that behind people at times are demonic powers. Trying to pull them away from the father, what the father has from him to make him say things or do things that are really not God's successful will for him. John five forty four says, "How can you believe?" Jesus says to the Pharisees and religious leaders, "Who?" who uh, Jesus says this: "How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God?" Let me say it again: "How can you believe when you accept glory from the one from one another?" And do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God, John five forty four. In other words, he knew they were not making decisions the Pharisees and religious leaders for Jesus because they would lose popularity, and they were so concerned about other people thinking well of them that they would not, you know, go with Jesus. I mean, one of the number one goals of young people today is to be famous, you know, to be impressive. Uh, Now, listen, you were created to be honored. Uh, The question is, from whom and when? I mean, the great banquet, the great honor is not a, getting a Grammy or an Academy Award or a Nobel Prize or winning the Olympic gold or getting your picture on Forbes magazine as one of the richest people in the world or having a picture in a magazine as the biggest church in, in, you know, in the country of the world. The, that longing to be approved or—actually, it there's a piece of it that's the image of God in you. It's, it's God-given because there is going to be a great honors banquet. And every honors and award banquet and prize given on earth— is only a taste of the banquet that we look forward to And we'll see God face-to-face on final judgment day uh, when we want to hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done my will. Uh, you've resisted the idols and the culture. You've been faithful with your talents, and, and you've, you've done it. You've done what I've asked you to do, so well done. That, that is the prize that all of us seek and long for. So again, if you run a big company or organization or ministry, people will esteem you a lot more than if you're in a startup. If you're a millionaire versus a person on public assistance, you can expect people to treat you with greater deference. They'll think you're wonderful. And if you work at a church, the size of your team or ministry will affect the way people view you. That is it. We want to get to a place where it doesn't matter. What matters is I do God's will. Jerry and I recently attended the premiere of a movie that was recently made. that's coming out in a few months on Jean Vanier's life. He's now 89 years old, and he has given his life for the last 50 to 60 years in serving Uh, men and women with severe intellectual and physical disabilities, setting up homes for them uh, to live uh, around the world. And uh, he's a sign of the kingdom of God. It was so interesting watching him at age 89 and, you know, with folks with disabilities. And for him, success was not numbers. Obviously, it was doing God's will, serving people, as he would say, are the most oppressed people on the planet. Uh, It was a beautiful movie. Uh, so again, the teaching of Jesus is that we're to abide in him and abound in fruit, You know, John 15. Again, abounding, ab- abiding in Jesus, and thus we abound in fruit. And so again, it's going to look different if you're a, a spiritual director uh, offering prayer and direction to people. It's going to be very different than if you're a pastor uh, of a church in a urban setting or a rural setting or a suburban setting, depending on what country in the world you're in and where God's placed you. But Again, I think the best biblical text, and I'll close with this, is Luke 10, where Jesus sends the 72 out. They come back. They're excited about the big numerical impact they had, the demons submitted to, to them in his name. And Jesus says to them, Don't rejoice the spirits commit, submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, he wants them to remember this joy comes from a relationship with him, not our achievements for him. So how are you going to resist, and how do I resist these two powerful idols? of numbers and what other people think, popularity, which are not just around us everywhere in the culture. They're actually in the church as well, and they're actually in us. Uh, and it's a temptation that you and I will confront the rest of our lives. So uh, I believe the key is to slow down for a relationship of deep, loving union with Jesus, and then having a few friends around us in community to protect us from self-deception. And uh, so let me invite you uh, and encourage you. This is why I've given my life and we've given our lives to discipleship, uh, to install in churches a discipleship that truly connects people deeply to Jesus and an abiding relationship with him called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Courses. Uh, And the core of these courses is being with Jesus in what we call the daily office meeting with Jesus in a rhythm twice a day not just in scripture but in silence and stillness and solitude listening and being so let me invite you to go to our website wwwemotionallyhealthy.org uh buy the emotionally healthy discipleship kit get that kit get trained through one of our live streams and then do the course uh, with your team it is a life changing unless we deepen our relationships with Jesus and do serious discipleship uh We will not have transformed people or transformed churches. If we don't have transformed churches, the world will not get Jesus right. So the Lord bless you, and I look forward to being with you uh, next week for Redefining Success Jesus' Way Part 2. God bless you, and have a great day.